0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let us open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 16. We kind of left off with a few verses at the end of 16, and then we're going to head into 17. Um... But some, some amazing things tonight. Then we're gonna have a time of communion and remembering Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and worshiping the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And uh, And then we're gonna pray for one another and bless one another. It's gonna be a, a great evening. And in fact, I'm very excited about this message. Um, and there is something deep and burning within my heart that I am really looking forward to sharing with you tonight. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit. Um, we acknowledge that you are the God in whom we live and move and have our being. And how we thank you, great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested In the flesh, in the person of Jesus, praise you, Lord Jesus, how we love you, how we worship you, O Lamb of God, Lion of the tribe of Judah, King of kings, Lord of lords, Maranatha, come quickly, O Lord, come. In the meantime, may our hearts be ready to hear your word tonight, to receive it. Um, and Lord, that we would, we're eager to hear what you have to say, what you want to share, and especially that personal word, the voice speaking from behind us saying, This is the way. This promise is for you. My son, my precious daughter, these promises are yours now. Lay hold of them by faith, appropriate them, believe them. Call upon them, trust in them, for they are yours with childlike faith. So we commit all of these things into your wonderful hands. Thank you, Lord, we know you will hear our prayer and that you will answer it. We thank you in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name, and everyone said amen. Okay, so we left last week uh, the story of Paul and Silas, You know, now, man, they're flowing in the spirit. They are moving mightily in Philippi. Uh, There was a stronghold, this poor girl that was demon possessed. We talked, kind of went into that a little bit about how, uh, you know, those that get demon demon possession and how they can make predictions, fortune telling, and all that kind of stuff. That poor girl. But Philippi was a stronghold, gateway, if you will, to all of Europe. And so Paul the Apostle turned around in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I command you to leave this girl now. And that demonic spirit or spirits left this girl and they were able to bring her to the Lord. And then Paul and Silas are preaching, they get opposition, they get beat up, they get thrown in jail, and at midnight, The Lord gives them a song in the night, and they are worshiping the Lord. I believe counting themselves worthy to suffer for for all that Jesus has done for us. They counted it worthy with their beatings to say, Lord, we praise you and worship you. At midnight, God sends an earthquake, shakes the gates open of the prison, the, the locks come off, and Paul and Silas, rather than running and escaping, cry out to the jailer in the darkness, because he's ready to do himself and do yourself no harm, for we have been sent by God to bring you good news tonight of salvation. And the jailer is shocked. How do they know? And he invites them to his house, he washes their wounds, they share the Lord with him, and the whole family of the jailer gets saved. So that's where we left off uh, last week. So now we pick up. In uh, chapter 16, verse 35, it says, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let these men go. So this is the following day. They've been beat up the night before. The earthquake happens. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, And he's probably excited. Hey, the magistrates have sent word to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, and Romans, meaning we have Roman citizenship, what those police just did, the magistrates, is illegal under Roman law, whoo, they're in trouble. And it's interesting that Paul knew that. He didn't, he didn't reveal his Roman citizenship before, and he could have. We don't know why, for whatever reason, we know one of the reasons, God wanted to put him in jail overnight so he could preach to the jailer and his house would get saved. But it's interesting Paul's reaction. Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they want to put us out secretly? It's like, hey, you guys, they realized, in other words, they'd made a mistake. And now they're kind of like, okay, we're going to let you go. Just go, be gone, and we won't talk about it. He says, no, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Now, I, again, why is Paul doing this? Well, I believe everything Paul did, he was led by the Lord. And, and Paul used, listen carefully, Paul used his Roman citizenship not as a badge of personal you know, courage, It did, it had tremendous meaning. I mean, Rome controlled the world. And if you did anything that was against Rome, fear came upon you, your life basically is on the line. And it was illegal under Roman law to hold a Roman citizen in jail overnight without the charges, without corroboration, beaten them, without them even having a hearing. So these guys knew it, they're in trouble, and it's interesting that Paul's gonna deal with it. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Uh Uh-oh, we are in big trouble. And then they came and Pleaded with them. Now, these are probably the same guys that the day before were beating the daylights out of them. Now, they're very humble, very gentle, very apologetic. Please don't get us in trouble. And then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. Just please go. We didn't realize you were Roman citizens. We take responsibility. We were wrong. We shouldn't have done that. And so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia So that's the lady that kind of got the whole thing started. You remember the man from Macedonia turned out to be a woman named Lydia that God lit the fire there in Philippi and had seen the brethren. So when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So here's what I want uh, to put in your outline here. Number one, Paul and Silas leave Philippi on their own terms, and I just want to you know, very simply say that sometimes we can get, as believers, taken advantage of in the world by whatever, various levels of authorities, governments, people that have positions of power or whatever, and then sometimes they maybe misuse that power, that authority or whatever. And the point here is, and what I like about Paul and Silas is... They used their their Roman citizenship for the kingdom of God. Because we as believers, we're not in, you know, God wants a a revolution, yes, but it's not a political revolution. We're not against the local governments here. We're not against the authorities, you know, surely as Romans 13 says, all authority has been, you know, put there by God. And that's a whole big issue that we can talk further about another time. But the point is generally they're there, but at the same time, we, we serve a higher king. Our politics, and especially if I can say this in light of this last year, our, as believers, politics really originates from heaven. Our number one political loyalty is to the king of heaven. And his kingdom, he said, is not of this world. We are not going to overthrow the governments of the world to bring in the kingdom. The Lord Jesus is going to come. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, we can be salt and we should, we are salt. We should be salt and we should be light and we should be engaging and all of those as Christians in every facet of life. But our ultimate hope is the king from the kingdom of heaven and his coming, uh, and we are in absolute loyalty. Our politics is first and foremost and forever the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen on that? So, but I do like the fact that they left on their own terms. They were not about to be bullied, they were not going to be pushed around. They were not well. We're Christians. We're just supposed to be doormats and let people walk on us. Paul and Silas looked them in the eye, and they didn't abuse their freedom or their authority or the fact that they had Roman citizenship. But what I believe partly Paul and Silas were doing was sending a message that they would never forget from now on, because there are other Christians now. There's a church that's been planted locally, and. Now, whenever magistrates of authority will have to go respectfully to deal with these followers of the way, called Christianity, or the followers of Jesus. Paul was like a good shepherd, kind of laying a foundation uh, for what may come down the road. So, here you have these two notable disciples from this trip, Lydia and the prison guard. Lydia was a churchgoer, the guard was not. Lydia was prospering in business, and the guard was about to kill himself. Lydia's heart was gently opened by the Lord. The guard's heart was violently opened by an earthquake in the middle of the night. The guard had a remarkable sign, an earthquake. Lydia was moved by the Holy Spirit in her heart, and both heard the gospel and both believed, and through each one of them, through Lydia, her whole house became believers, and through the Roman guard, prison guard, the whole family came to the Lord. So they left on their own terms, and I think that's important to note. So chapter 17, verses one through four, and I'll just put this life lesson from here. Paul brought the gospel to the capital and largest city of Macedonia. So Paul's on the move. Silas is on the move. The Holy Spirit is on the move. Aslan is on the move. It says, now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now, that word, Thessalonica, the name of a city in Greece, and it should ring a bell because there are two letters in the New Testament uh, called first and second Thessalonians, Thessaloniki, Uh, is the modern city in Greece. It is still there to this day, a thriving city, a beautiful city. And it was a place that Paul went and planted the gospel. And we get, after he planted the gospel and after he planted church, a church there, two letters that Paul wrote to the believers in Thessalonica um, that is just absolutely amazing. If you've never read 1st or 2nd Thessalonians, While we're even going through the book of Acts, maybe sometime this week you can read 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. These were letters written by the apostle Paul from this very church on this particular second missionary journey the apostle Paul was on. So he came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Again, Paul being Jewish, a Pharisee, then a believer that Jesus is the Messiah, then being set apart to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, (laughs) but now wherever he would go to a new city, the first place he would go to present the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, he died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead on the third day, the first place he would go is always to the synagogue, to the fellow Jewish brethren and sister, and the reason is they had over 300 prophecies In the Old Testament, they gave this mosaic picture of the Messiah, but who is he? And they didn't quite know how to put it together. Paul had it all there. So he goes, if I go to my Jewish brethren, I know that God will give some of them divine revelation. And they will see it, and they will accept Jesus. And through them, they can be then used as Gentiles, are brought into the family of God, the Jewish people who have, you know, the Old Testament, they have the prophecies, they have God's moral laws and the Ten Commandments, they can help begin that church and start discipling. So then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them. So he visited the local synagogue. And for three Sabbaths, they had a custom in those days that if you had a visiting rabbi, as Paul was a rabbi, a man of uh, letters, a man of study, a Pharisee, and they would allow a visitor to come in, read some scriptures, and make commentary, teaching, explanation of them. So we know now that Paul was there for three weeks, three Sabbaths, with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ, or the Messiah, had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus, or in Hebrew, this Yeshua, whom I preach to you, is the long-awaited Messiah, or Christ. And some of them, meaning the Jewish people, were persuaded. And a great multitude, so even more than the Jews, were as a great multitude of devout Greeks. These would have been Greeks. Who had already forsaken their Greek gods, you know, because you have the Greeks and the Greek religion first, then Rome overpowered Greece. But Rome basically borrowed a lot of Greek mythology and the Greek gods into the Roman, uh, you know, pantheon. And so they had forsaken the Greek gods and they were searching for the true God and they, they were drawn to Jewish people. These ancient uh, Greeks that lived in Thessaloniki were drawn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were drawn to the story of the children of Israel. They were drawn to a God that delivered his people from Pharaoh in Egypt. They, They were drawn to a God of the miraculous. They were drawn to the God who forecasts an outline of future prophetic things. They had already come to believe in one God and that the one God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they were ready and prepared when now they'd heard of the Messiah. Now they're being identified, the Messiah has come. Let me tell you about him. And Paul could say in his testimony, I have seen him. It's very powerful. So some of the Jews were persuaded. A great multitude of the devout Greeks were persuaded, and not a few of the leading women of the city joined Paul and Silas. So, this is the great, you know, there was a great Roman road from the Adriatic Sea to the, uh, the Middle uh, Middle East. It was called the Ignatia Way. And it was a road that, if you traveled it, it would basically unite much of the East West Roman Empire. And that main road upon which, and, and, you know, Roman Westerners and Roman Easterners would travel and meet was a road that went right through the city. And therefore, it was a cosmopolitan area. If a church could be planted here, the gospel would then spread east and west along that road until it became a highway of the kingdom of heaven and of God. So Paul was very, you know, very wise he was led by the Holy Spirit, he had a plan, go to the synagogue first, get some Jewish believers, some of the Greeks that have already left go, let go of their gods and goddesses, and then now fill them in. Jesus is the Messiah, plant a church, and from here they can go out and spread to the smaller communities around them. Now how did Paul do it? Very, very quickly, I want you to just notice. Number one, Paul reasoned with them. So what I want to encourage is, um, That all of you, so everybody look up here for just a moment as your shepherd and your pastor, I want to encourage all of you to be in a small group of discipleship. Because we're not just about making uh, converts, or for that matter, we're not just about making believers, that's all great and good, but the great commission is Jesus said, therefore go make disciples of all nations. So a disciple is more than a believer. You know, a believer is great. You're a believer. You got saved. You got born again. You've received Jesus Christ. And there are many that settle for that. They go to church maybe a little bit. They do a few good deeds and they think they're good for eternity. They've got their fire insurance, as they say. But there's much, much more. The Lord is not calling us to settle for that. And one of the problems is if you're not growing in the Lord, you could be drifting. And there are many parables that Jesus told about you can drift until the next thing you know, yeah, the seed got planted, but then the weeds came and choked out the life. How many are there of those who at one time, yes, and they believed and they received the you know, message with joy, the parable that Jesus told, the next thing you know, it gets choked out of them and they're lost. But now they've been inoculated a little bit and so... They don't know their need. So we need to, it's just normal as a human being. Great, you're born, you're a little baby, awesome. Now, normal, grow. Grow up through all the various stages, all the way to maturity and to adulthood. We're to grow and we should continue growing. So Paul reasoned with them. The word reason, so this is what you can do in small groups. Things that we cannot do here uh, in big church. Um, the word reason is the root for our English word dialogue. And so that's, so Paul dialogued with them in a small enough setting that there was an exchange. Paul would teach and share. Somebody would say, I got a question. What did you mean by that? I don't understand. Then he would answer them. And it was a conversation. It was a dialogue. So that's where you have to get into a small enough group where you have the opportunity to really dive in, ask questions, understand, and begin to grow. Paul reasoned with them. Number two, Paul spent time explaining. This word literally means opening. Now, it's possible, you know, some, maybe they've gone to church for years, they've heard certain stories many times, but they still don't really know the essence of the story, the moral of the story, or the application of the story to their lives. So it's very, very good to be open and honest and say, you know what, I've heard this many times, but I don't really get it. Could you open my understanding? And that's what really discipleship is about, having someone be able to open to you and, and literally uh, bring clarity, simplicity, where you go, now I get it. now Because once you get it, once you understand it, you can apply it, you can begin living it, and when you start living it, it becomes part of your character. And there's nothing better than growing spiritually. Uh, It's just normal, it's healthy, it's beautiful. And then thirdly, Paul also demonstrated, um, which means giving evidence, proving, which means I'm gonna place this beside this. Uh, What what he did is he basically demonstrated that the Messiah must suffer and die and rise from the dead. Now, we all know that as the gospel, but if I could take all of us and get us on a little bus and go back, you know, 2000 plus years ago, and now all you've, there is no New Testament. All you have is the Old Testament and scattered from Genesis through Malachi are 300 prophecies that are called messianic. Could we have put those 300 prophecies together like a puzzle and really pictured it, imagined it, clearly understood it? Probably not. They had some big misconceptions So when Jesus actually came, even it took time for the disciples, and quite honestly, it took divine revelation for them to put the prophecies together with Jesus' life. Little by little, it took time. It was a process. And that's why Paul demonstrated or he proved to them that Jesus, that the Messiah must suffer and that he must die, and on the third day rise from the dead. It's very easy from our side in the year 2021 to look and say, well, yeah, Jesus came and he was born of a virgin and we see it all very clearly. But what I wanna say to you is it took divine revelation. And then what it means is you can't just figure it out. It's not like a math problem that you can understand and put together. You have to have a tender heart, an open spirit And God has to reveal to you. That's why when Jesus finally asked, after three years being with the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. Amen? Okay, so look at this next uh, outline point here. Paul had to show the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead from scripture because Jewish people were expecting the first and most important act of the Messiah would be political liberation. That's what they were looking for, and those scriptures are there, and that's what they focused on, and that's what they were waiting for, but instead, it would first be a spiritual liberation. So what I want to say is it was not clear from the Old Testament until it actually happened, that there would be one Messiah and two comings. And that in his first coming, he would be fulfilling all of the spiritual aspects of deliverance and healing and salvation. But then, he, there are all these prophecies about political. Well, yes, that would come, but that's second. And in priority, the first one, which is so much more important, I think, you know, had God just delivered them spiritually and then, okay, within 10 years, we're going to have the political and wow, okay, one, two. But God does the spiritual deliverance, salvation, death, lamb of God, blood, shed, resurrection, and he waits for the final political outward manifestation so far, 2,000 years. God is showing his priorities, spiritual first, the outward manifestation second by 2,000 years. Do you follow me? So that has to come by revelation. Acts chapter one, verses six and seven. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's fulfilled all the spiritual aspects of the kingdom. And therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So they were still fixated on it. So we need to understand that there are two comings. And the first one was the spiritual kingdom. The second one, which we're very, very close to, is the uh, outward manifestation, the political kingdom of heaven. The lion shall lie down with the lamb. So look with me in verses 5 through 9. It says, beginning in verses five through nine, but now the Jews who were not persuaded, okay, so some of the Jews were persuaded. They became believers in Jesus. (laughs) But there were other Jews who were not persuaded. Becoming envious, underline that word envious. They took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, sent all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, Apparently, Jason was one of the first believers there who opened his home for a Bible study, discipleship, house church, if you will. And they heard it was his house and that Paul and Silas were there. So they sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they couldn't find Paul and Silas. They dragged Jason, who'd opened his home to them and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason was harbored, Uh, Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security, uh, basically he he had to post uh, bail (laughs) From Jason and the rest, they let them go. So here's what I wanna just say about that. Uh, the, the same thing had happened on Paul's first missionary journey when he went to Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, then to Lystra, he was oppressed by a mob. And the mob were envious. There was, these were Jews, but they said, we disagree with Paul. We don't, they did not have divine revelation. They were angry. And they rejected Paul's biblical message. The word envy means being resentful of other people's possessions or advantages. (laughs) When Paul and Silas came, there was an explosion in the city. There was all these people coming. There was all these people believing. All these people getting saved. God is doing supernatural signs and wonders to confirm his word. And basically, nobody's going to listen to the other Jewish guys giving their great Bible studies down the road. It's like he's got, a, and they're like, wait a minute, we know more. Who are these guys? And they, they got envious and they were jealous. And so they made a big deal accusing these Christians. Now, what's interesting is they gave one of the greatest kind of a backhanded compliments to the Paul and Silas. They go, these men who have turned the world upside down. All of Rome is turned upside down by them. Everywhere they go, they're turning the world upside down. They've come to us also. I, I like that. I kind of think that's cool, don't you? I, I envy that kind of... I want that kind of reputation. Those who have turned the world upside down have come now to us. You know, Peter got blasted by the high priest when he said, these men and these followers of Jesus who have brought their doctrine to the entire city of Jerusalem. Again, what a badge of honor. Way to go, Peter. What a beautiful accusation. They that have turned the world upside down. Now, I wanna just add, honestly, the reality is they were turning the world right side up. Can I hear an amen? They were doing the right thing the right way, bringing salvation. But I want you to know when you do begin to follow the things of the spirit and you're led by the spirit, there will be a mob, maybe in the family, maybe where you work or whatever, because of their envy, there's a spirit that is stirred up within them to attack. Whenever God is doing something good, something wonderful, something beautiful, Um, The enemy will be there. But just take it as confirmation. But their fears were unfounded. Even though the gospel has political implications, the reality is the gospel makes Christians better citizens of any government than they were before. Amen? Okay, well, let's close with verses 10 through 15. It says, And then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night, They had to get them out of there by night. What an exciting life those guys had. What a dangerous life they had. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. There they go again. There's their pattern. So they went to a place called Berea. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. They were like, tell us more. We like your stories. Wow, testimony. What happened on the road to Damascus? Who did you see? What did he look like? They received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul in Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Okay, so I'm going to close with this. The Bereans learned how to receive divine revelation. So they come in, here's this new guy, and he's got new insight, new teaching. But what Paul was sharing with them was revelation. They had the prophecies. They knew there's a Messiah that's coming. We know bits and pieces of him and about him, but they're ready to receive it. And Paul was sharing, this is my story, this is my testimony. Actually, I did not believe, I was persecuting Christians, I was hounding them, I was harassing them, and I was prisoning them, and I was on my way to Damascus against Jesus. I got knocked off my horse, I'm on the ground, this blinding light speaks to me, and who is it? Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. And then my life has turned around, and now I lay my life down that I might share it. Now, the Bereans, I mean, think of this. They're listening to the teaching of the most famous apostle and theologian of the entire early church, probably, and the human author of at least 13 books of the entire New Testament. But they still said, but we're gonna check you out. We're gonna go to the word and see if what you say is actually in the word. And Paul says, I love that. They are more noble. They, they said, we hear what you're saying, but we're gonna to go to the scriptures. Because what Paul was sharing, you, you couldn't get it just by doctrine, just by teaching, just by laying out several hundred prophecies, it wasn't that clear. But as Paul shared the story of Jesus, as he told them what he said, and what he did, and how he lived, and how each piece, yes, he was born in Bethlehem, yes, he is of the family and tribe of David. Our tribe of, well, the family of David, the tribe of Judah. And the scriptures, Isaiah prophesied, the Messiah will give his life. His body will be broken. His blood will be shed. He will be smitten. And on the third day, and there were many scriptures he could have shown about the third day, two days we've been torn, but on the third day, he will revive us. So they looked in the scriptures, they said it matches, and then this is the testimony of Jesus, and they took what he said and they put it together, and then they received divine revelation. Now, I wanna close with this, and I'm gonna ask the worship team to come out. We're gonna get ready to have communion in just a moment, but I wanna say this, I wanna close with this to you. So everybody look up here for just a minute. I want to say to you with all sincerity, that where we are living right now, it's not enough that you know certain doctrines and believe certain principles and teachings or whatever. Every single one of us as a child of God needs to be able to hear the voice of the shepherd. We individual, we need to pray every day. We need to go to the scriptures and and say, is this true? And Lord, what are you saying to me? How should I then live? What should we do? And there's no, you know, book cookie cutter that everybody do this or everybody go here. It's going to be very personal. And we are living in days where you must have a daily living personal relationship, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit for every decision that you make and that you follow only His voice. You must live by revelation, not just knowledge, not just agreed upon doctrinal understanding, but by daily, personal, intimate revelation that you are hearing though. Lord. Do you hear me? Are you with me? Now as never before, as never before. Because he's going to lead and guide us through. And we're going to be faithful unto him and obedient to him. And he'll guide us through everything that is happening and everything that's going to come. And we will hear the trumpet. And we will be caught up. And we will be with the Lord forevermore in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranothachapel.org for more information.